0: It is December 18, 2020. It's the end of the week. So I thought we'd check in with the attorneys here at the Mark Lopez Law Firm. And so starting with Zach. Zach, Indiana Supreme Court said no in-person juries until March 1st of next year. Zach, why is that a big deal?
1: So that's a big deal. Um, you know, a lot of people are sitting and waiting on a trial right now. It Under normal circumstances, early trial Requests are being made, and people who are in custody are, are getting trials within 70 days as the as the uh, Constitution requires, uh, but that right is suspended right now with the, the in-person jury trials being suspended.
0: And Zach, well, what was the reason for the Indian Supreme Court's decision to say, hey, no in-person juries until next year?
1: It's all COVID-related. Um, looking around, those numbers are spiking, and we're seeing it. As we go around the state, individual courthouses, a lot of the time, they're shutting down uh, because it's moving through the courthouses. So it's spreading in the courts. Um, and while a lot of stuff is able to be done virtually, a lot of the pretrial stuff, jury trials are a totally different totally different situation. Um, and so for safety, they've, they've decided it's in the best interest to suspend jury trials until March 1st.
0: And, you know, the Indiana Supreme Court said, hey, no jury trials until March 1st, but even before this, we know of a couple of different counties that set for trial in criminal cases, high profile cases where somebody was in jail and not enough jurors showed up. And, you know, it's it's clear when, you know, media and this, the news and the health department saying it's not safe to be in large gatherings, I could totally understand why people would not want to show up for jury duty and hang out with a bunch of other people all day. So, even though they've officially said no jury trials, you know, in Marion County, we know that there have been problems getting jurors to come during COVID. And Zach, what what is the big issue with not having jury trials until, or no in-person jury trials until next year?
1: So the biggest issue is people who are in custody, um, who can't afford a bond, or maybe weren't given a bond based on their charges, they now, you know, don't have a, a way to go to trial to, to resolve that issue, to, to, you know, maybe be heard. Um, if somebody's stuck in custody, oftentimes we'll file a speedy trial request to get that trial as, as soon as we possibly can. And that's not possible right now.
0: You know, a lot of people will say, well, too bad. You shouldn't commit crime. That's not the correct response for lots of reasons. Number one, you're innocent until proven guilty in the American judicial system, including Indiana. And then I don't think people quite understand how easy it is to get in trouble. If somebody walks into a police station and says a person committed a crime, the person that's a suspect can easily be charged and you don't need to have a lot of evidence to have criminal charges. In fact, you know, people all the time call here, there's no evidence against me. Well, there's someone saying you did something and that's more than enough in Indiana to be charged. Um, in some cases, you don't have a good attorney, you can be convicted of that. And so it's amazing, mm-hmm. amazingly easy to get into trouble. And then when you're in jail, you're missing work, people are losing their jobs when they're in jail for three or four days because they don't show up, no call, no show. And then when these folks call their job, well, hey, I'm sorry I missed uh, my shift. And the job says, okay, what happened? Well, I was in jail. That doesn't help the chances of the person getting their job back. And then, you know, we tell everybody when you're charged with a crime, your life still goes on. You still got bills to pay. You still got to take care of your kids. You still got to feed them. You got families and you're missing jobs. You're missing these things. And um, it's tragic it's a snowball effect. And we see that in our practice. And, uh, you know, we're not even touching about the bond. So Zach, what has been our experience with courts with bonds during time of COVID,
1: so courts have been pretty receptive to to any arguments we've had. Um, a lot of the times we're seeing COVID spread through the jails as well, and so courts are are willing to listen and they're willing to consider alternate measures um, besides incarcerating someone. Um, that may be home detention, you know, w- whatever they feel comfortable with. But we we've been we've been trying to get everybody, you know, if they're in custody, trying to file motions and and present that argument to the courts. And for the most part, um, they are receptive to the arguments.
0: You know, and they, a lot of counties are doing away with bonds for lower level offenses, but, you know, it's pretty easy to get charged with a higher level offense, you know, and courts are wanting, you know, $1,000 to get out on bond or $2,000 to get out on bond. But the problem is the average American savings account in this country is three thousand five hundred. dollars and, you know, obviously some people have a lot more, some people have a lot less, but when you're asking a family to pay a bond of a couple of thousand dollars, when they only have, you know, on average $3,500, that can be a hard sell to the family. And also, you know, when the person's in jail, they're not earning an income, they're losing their job. So again, it's a snowball effect. Um, you know, the reason why we have an early trial in criminal cases is to give a deadline, hey, you know, one way or another, this is going to be over. And with staying jury trials until march we don't have that and again zach and i both understand why but it's truly tragic for the legal system zach any parting thoughts
1: just remember always plead the fifth
0: (laughs) you really can't go wrong pleading the fifth thanks so much (laughs) zach switching gears to another interesting thing this week is one of the news articles reported that indiana is getting a bunch of handheld breath test machines but Unlike the current breath test machines, these will be able to test for drugs, and a bunch of these are being released across the state. I think Marion County is getting four of them, at four thousand dollars a piece. And um, there's been lots of talk about, you know, whether or not this is helpful, whether or not this is going to actually be of any value. Matt, you are one of the top DUI associates here at the firm. What are your thoughts on this new handheld unit?
2: You know. Honestly, I, I think it's an unnecessary step if you, if you really think about it, because, you know, it's, it's, it's basically a portable breath test on steroids, if, if, if you will, because ultimately portable breath tests, those numbers are not admissible in court under any condition. All it does is it gives an officer further probable cause to believe you might be operating while intoxicated. So either way, they're still going to have to go get blood or they're still going to have to go do breath if they blow zeros on a traditional breath test or the traditional PBT they're still going to go and get blood if they have reason to believe someone is under some other substance. So honestly I think it's probably a an added expense. It's a cool it's a cool gadget, cool piece of technology, but an unnecessary step really in my opinion.
0: And so I think you're 100% right, Matt. And so with a DUI case, there's usually multiple stages of the investigation, but once a person has performed field sobriety tests and officer made observations, officers are supposed to use the portable breath test to, you know, basically confirm if the person is intoxicated with alcohol or drugs. And so what happens is in the practice is if someone's intoxicated and then they blow zeros on the portable breath test, the officer's like, well, they're not high on alcohol, it must be drugs, and then they say, hey, will you submit to a certified chemical test? Certified chemical test, which you and I both know, is either a breath test machine at the station or blood out your arm. That's when, you know, if you refuse those, there's significant consequences to the driver's license. So why do we need this extra step? Why do we have to have this device to try to figure out if the person's intoxicated on cocaine or methamphetamines? There's no real point. It's not admissible in court, and you have to go get blood anyway. I don't understand why anyone, this particular state of Indiana, spent $4,000 on this machine. From my perspective, it seems like a solution in search of a problem. It's unnecessary, completely unnecessary. And you know, the, with a portable breath test right now, you blow into it, the results are back within 10, 15 seconds. This new machine, they're talking about six minutes we're going to know whether or not um, what what drugs a person's on. But again, like Matt said, completely inadmissible in court. In fact, Matt, if somebody asks this law firm at a party or just casual conversation, hey, would you guys ever take the portable breath test? What is the response for anybody that is knowledgeable in DUI
2: law? Absolutely not. I would not take a portable breath test under any scenario. And and, an additional thing to think about here you know uh, with, with this new machine is you know if they're if they're starting to take this out at least from my perspective, they're searching for something you know if if if, if they think you're on some you know they being the cops, if they think that you're on some type of narcotics, some type of other drug, they're gonna have other signs of intoxication, whether it's you know slurred speech abil- you know ability to stand up straight, kind of swaying, they're gonna have other signs, so to me, you know in practice, if they bring this out. It's almost as if the cops are trying to find something, which is going to invoke significant other ramifications, because at what point are they just keeping you at a scene to try and find something? So, you know, that's, that, that's just something. But, you know, ultimately, when it comes down to it, portable breath test, no. When it comes to the certified chemical test, the breath test at the station or the blood draw, absolutely do not refuse that test. I repeat, do not refuse. It's going to have some giant consequences with regards to your driver's license.
0: Yeah, and you know, we're talking about Indiana. You know, I, we're not we're not lawyers in other states, but in Indiana, refusing the certified test, the blood draw at the station, or the breath test at the station, or blood test at the hospital, breath test at the station, this is terrible consequences for the driver's license. So again, we're not talking outside of Indiana, but that's our opinion. Um, so, you know, I have to give this new machine complete thumbs down. It's redundant, it's expensive, and, is not telling us anything that can be used in court, I don't see why we spend money on that. Matt, thanks so much for giving up some time today. I appreciate it, buddy.
2: Absolutely, man.
0: I have attorney Benitez here. An interesting opinion came out from the Indiana Court of Appeals and the state of Indiana via Manuel Torres. Attorney Benitez, why is this case kind of interesting?
3: Well, I think uh, this case is interesting uh, for many reasons. Um, I think the first one is because you have uh, somebody at the trial court level that um, lives in the community and sees how certain, um, there can be a way where uh, people are arbitrarily stopped or a law is applied uh, arbitrarily to different people. Um, And then at the court of appeals level, you also have, uh, even though it's a concurring uh, decision, you also have a judge uh, frustrated. Uh, that this law, this this law, uh, seems to be arbitrary applied to different people, um, and he actually calls on the General Assembly uh, to make changes uh, to this law.
0: Yeah, I found this super interesting. You know, it's it's no so this Emmanuel case. It's actually a combined case of uh, Ramon Sanchez and Emmanuel Torres, and I think the implication at the trial court level was, hey, you're they're using this. You know, you have to use a turn signal 200 feet before you turn as basically a reason to pull over anybody they want for any reason. In this particular case, this officer pulled over two individuals with Hispanic last names. And I think the judge was getting frustrated. And like you said, super interesting because the Court of Appeals, while they overturned the trial judge, they, you know, the concurring opinion said, hey, this is ridiculous. And, you know, uh, it's not fair. And it's basically giving an officer a reason to pull over anybody anytime because, you know, like, you know, attorney Benitez, our office is right downtown Indianapolis, but on a daily basis, we're in Danville, we're in Lebanon, we're in Carmel, Noblesville, um, Greenwood, Greenfield, we're all over the state. And a lot of these, um, you know, towns, you can't turn your blinker off for a full 200 feet. I mean, literally. There's no, no surprise that we're, we're breaking, you know, one of the, we're breaking tons of traffic rules constantly because it's not feasible to comply with all of it. And, um, you know, I, I feel the frustration. Attorney Benitez, why do you think this case
3: is important to our clients? Um, I, I believe this case is important to our clients because um, the, the Court of Appeals said, I mean, um, all the officer needs um, is that he has to have reasonable belief that a traffic violation occurred. So even if uh, he's objectively wrong, um, it doesn't matter. That still makes the stop valid. Um, and that's not something that came out today. This is this is this has been um, already in, in in place, but it just got reaffirmed again.
0: And you know, one of the things anybody um, watching this and think there's no point in fighting. I want to encourage you. You know, there is a point in fighting. In this particular case, the trial judge basically said the stop was invalid because it was impossible to comply. And the prosecutor's office actually appealed. The defendants did not write a brief. These were not our clients, otherwise we would have- Oh, no, briefs. no, no, no,
3: yeah, no, no. We, we would definitely have written a brief.
0: <laughs> and so there's a less stringent standard. So I, I think this is something, I really do think this is like a first shot. Hey, you know, Indiana is okay with pretextual stops. But, you know, you have to give us a shot. And, you know, where it's not possible to comply, you know, let's give a little wiggle room here. So anybody reading this, don't think it's not worth fighting. Um, and then, you know, I want to encourage anybody listening or watching this, if a judge gets rid of a case in your favor and then the other party appeals, please file the brief. Even if you can't afford it, reach out to somebody. There's organizations that will try to help right brief if it's the common good this case clearly would have been the common good attorney benitez do you have any last minute thoughts for us
3: any last bit of advice no no I just, I just i i want to quote what the what the uh court of appeals judge that uh concurred his his quote i love his quote um he literally said all hoosiers will appreciate and benefit from a traffic code that reduces the opportunity for arbitrary enforcement and so um that's a good way to end because um this applies to to our cases and 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 he sees an issue with the way um it's being applied and so he's he calls on the uh, general assembly to make some changes and hopefully they do make some changes
0: absolutely and that ends this weekend in review anybody watching remember always plead the fifth have a great day attorney benitez
3: yep take care